children are so amazing. Like you have a plan and then they, they do something different, but it actually fits so well. And that's kind of the heart, that having a mindset of, oh, who, they don't have it. <laughs> Let me pass it on. I just love that. So today I want to talk about discipleship. Uh, discipleship is a big theme for our church in 2024. In fact, we're saying 2024, we want to go deeper into intentional discipleship, meaningful, like taking the initiative. Uh, how many of you heard the verse, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, right? The great commission, therefore, go into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, a lot of us take that as convert people or even baptize people, but the two words, they're two different Greek words, but they emphasize the same thing. Make people who are learning from you. Teach them everything that Jesus has taught them. So it's not just a rally where we have decisions. And I think that's needed, and that God uses that. But the Great Commission is walk with those people so that they learn to obey everything that I've commanded you. And so we love the decision part, but the discipleship is this process of growing and becoming and walking like Jesus. And so the command for Timothy and command in the Bible from Jesus is all this thing. God is not saying build a big church. So today in 21st century, we think build a church means build a big crowd, build a big uh, building. Uh, one book that I read, a church, mega church in the Midwest, offered free flat screen TVs on Easter if you come. That's kind of a true story. So they had volunteers and neighbors come so they could hear the gospel and celebrate Easter. So ancestors by the means, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Um, but Jesus didn't say just build a big crowd or build a big sanctuary and have a mega church. Like those are not bad. But he says, don't forget, make disciples of Jesus Christ, students. Pupils, that's what disciple is, follower of Jesus who learn to obey everything, this heart of obedience. So how do we do this in 2024? Um, so I'm going to ask the session to grant us $50,000 so we could give out TVs and iPhones to everyone that comes. That can work, amen, amen. Is there a motion? Is there a second? Um, so how do we do this? So let me ask it this way. Take a moment, close your eyes. Trust me, I'm not going to do anything weird. Think about someone who has been the most influential to you in your spiritual life, your whole life. Take a moment. Who has been the most influential to you in your spiritual life? A friend, parent, Sunday school teacher, pastor, neighbor, friend's mom. Okay, come back, come back. Don't, fall, don't snore, just come back. Um, I'm going to ask you a question. What is the common denominator in your person? Can, can somebody call it out? By the way, just let's all call it out. Who did you say? Don't be shy. Oh, we're being shy. <laughs> so I bet you this is a common denominator. They were people with whom you had a real relationship. And so let's define real. Real relationship is 
they were able to speak into you, listen to you, eat with you, cry with you, pray with you, share life with you. There were people who were not resistant to saying, you matter, right? They were not a teacher on a TV. There were, there were people who looked at you and said, hey, how are you doing, Jason? And so books and podcasts these days are awesome. They're a great source of knowledge and information. But one thing that's missing that everybody needs is a human touch of somebody saying, I see you. I want to know you. I want to root for you. I want to pray for you. I want God's glory to be revealed in you. That's different. See, uh, podcasts and books, a lot of people uh, stop going to church these days, and they're like, I, I, you know what, I have my own time with God. That's great. But one thing that's missing today possibly might be a mentor, somebody in you. I was preparing a sermon one Sunday at Pete's Coffee, and then some guy said, oh, you're a pastor, you're a Christian. And he started talking to me, and he wouldn't leave me alone. Uh, like, like, and I was like, okay, I'm trying to get this sermon done. And he keeps talking to me. And then he was like, I go to the best Bible study. There's no Bible study like his. And he's talking about a pastor. And, and I just got annoyed. And I said, Holy Spirit, help me to not be rude. But how do I stop this? And I asked him, where do you serve? Oh, I, I don't serve. I just like going to the Bible study. I was like, I don't know. Jesus said, just learn Bible study. Or as the Father has sent me, so I sent you. Where do you serve? And then he kind of got quiet. And I didn't, I wasn't being mean. I was like, hey, that's great to learn. Where are you imparting that? And so he, he kind of left me alone. But it's a true thing. A lot of us love sermons and Bible study and knowledge and content. Podcasts are growing. Books are great. But is there an outlet as well where it's two-way? We listen, we share, and we give. We raise up other people. And so the influencers in your life were godly people who loved Jesus, and they looked at you and said, I want you to have more than the status quo. God has a big purpose for you. Let's walk together. I want to see his will unfold in your life. You know, I hear that from my mentors. And there were moments when I have doubt, moments where I'm like, why did I become a pastor? Or marriage is hard. Or I don't know if I could get through this. And these mentors said, Jason, I see it in you. I'm praying for you. Go. And so mentoring is a model of relationship that God uses for discipleship. Jesus spent how many years with his disciples? Three years with his disciples, 12 of them. What did he do with them? This is how modern people think discipleship is. You go to class. There's rows of chairs. Jesus is giving a lecture. You take notes and you go, this is good stuff. Is that how Jesus taught? No. He walked with them. He walked the neighbors. He healed blind people. He let the disciples eat grain. He saw Lazarus raised from the dead. They did everything with it. They see, now, this is kind of crass, but they went to bathroom together. They took shower. And like same, they were able to cry and fall asleep together. They did all of life together. So Jesus' discipleship model for three years was to connect with them and to do life with them. It wasn't just imparting knowledge. He was embodying an example of a way to live. Jesus is the only person that lived a perfect life. Did you know that? He never sinned. He lived his life, and the disciples were able to see that. 
Well, this is not surprising because the Jewish heritage of rabbi, Jesus was a rabbi, by the way, right? He was a Jew. Jesus was a rabbi. And this is what author Ann Spangler says. Rabbis were not just brilliant people that taught. Listen to this. The mission of a rabbi was to become a living example of what it means to apply God's word. Living example. A disciple apprenticed himself to a rabbi because the rabbi had saturated his life with scripture and had become a true follower of God. So student sees a rabbi adoring God, loving God, and then follows him. The disciple sought to study the text not only of scripture but of the rabbi's life. For it was there that he would learn how to live out the Torah. Even more than acquiring his master's knowledge, he wanted to acquire his master's character. His internal grasp of God's law. The Jewish rabbi was not merely a teacher. He was an example that the student followed so it could rub off on him. It was life together more than a classroom. I had an opportunity to serve a church of 2,000 members in Texas. I was a youth pastor. I had like 180, 190 kids. Big church. People loved it. They came. It was known for its international renowned Bible study. There's a local church here in Southern California that also draws thousands, known for their discipleship program. Very good. But there is a danger, and here is a danger. There is an assumption that if I do this Bible study and go through a discipleship class, I would ergo become a spiritually mature person. Does going through a series of class automatically make you a spiritually mature person? The people said, no. The devil knows the whole Bible better than anyone. And there are atheists who know the Bible way more than any of you. They read it three, four times. So it's not knowledge. But in this Christian church, is what we noticed, a tenets that came out in concerns I'm going to pass was, a lot of people presume I went through this, therefore I am mature. Which is in itself to say that, <laughs> immature. And so what is discipleship? It is not going through a study and class and saying I've been through this, the best discipleship program. Let me tell you what it is. It is Christ's likeness that the Holy Spirit works into you as we humbly give ourselves to God in his word, in his time, in his presence, in prayer. Fruit of the Spirit, Galatians, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. These are fruits that God does in you. And this is what makes somebody grow. And sometimes a great discipleship Bible study will do that. And sometimes it will not do that because the heart is proud. And so it is not a program. It is a process that of being molded by God. The verse after the fruit of the Spirit, verse 24, it says, And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Why is Paul saying that? The fruit of the Spirit works because we have killed our old fleshly self less of me more of you and god says i can work with that that's how we are molded as disciples so it is not a man-made process of discipleship it is a work of god in us 
And we talked about last week, this is why deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me is what Jesus says. It's a requirement to be his follower. So Sermon on the Mount, Beatitudes, if you read it, you're like, no one could do this unless there's a molding. And so activity in the church, in our church too, you could be an elder, you could be a pastor, you could be a worship member, you could be a Bible study teacher. And at the heart of it, we may not have a disciple's heart if it's proud. I'm a pastor, by the way, right? And I've been pastor for 25 years almost. And I realized, oh my goodness, I am so scared of everything I did the first 10 years. And then 10 years from now, guess what I'm going to say? I'm so scared of what I did at CPCLM 10 years ago. And so instead of sitting on our laurels of our accomplishment and title, disciple heart is, Lord, here's my heart. You grow me. It's not what I accomplish and attain, but it's the work you do as I study your word, as I pray, as I'm in fellowship. So it's God's gift and God's work. It's a heart issue. And so Anne Spangler, she's right. She says this in her book, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus, along with instructing the crowds, a rabbi's greatest goal was to raise disciples who would carry on his teachings. As important as knowledge of scriptures was, there was one thing more important, the moral character of the rabbi. The mission of a rabbi, the mentor, the teacher, was to become a living example of what it means to apply God's words to one's life. Do you have somebody like that? I really mean, do you have somebody that you look up to that is not perfect, but they embody and live in that example? If not, you must be that for people who are looking as well. So in your bulletin, there's two questions in there that I really want you to fill out in a short bit. Who are you who is mentoring you as a role model, as a teacher? And who are you mentoring? This is the process of discipleship. Um, And when you walk together, there is a fragrance. So in 1990, I was in 10th grade and my parents moved to a new town. So going to a new high school, I was like one of two Korean kids. Everybody was white. And I was like, I had no friends, 10th grade. And then I, you know, the the horrid cafeteria, right? You're sitting down, you're like, oh my gosh, where am I going to go? And, you know, so it, it 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 was hard. Made some good friends eventually. And then suddenly these cool kids caught my attention and they caught, I caught their attention. They're like, Jason, we're going to hang out Friday night. Why don't you come out with us? Of course, you know. Out of all the nights, all the nights, this is a horror story. Out of all the nights, I'm, I dressed up, you know, got the baggy pants, got my cologne on. We're going to hit the town, see some, you know, girls hanging out by the movie theater. We're all like 10th, 11th grade. Out of all the nights, my mom comes home and starts cooking fried fish pungently. So they're picking me up at 8. My mom came home, she starts frying away the whole house. It's not just smelly. You know what I mean? It's like sticky, humid. It's like saturated. And I was like, I'm going to jump out the window. I'm going to jump out the window. I walked through and I ran out. Honk, honk, honk. My friends came. And I walked into the car. I was like, hey, guys. The first thing they did was, your mom's cooking? And they all opened the window. 
It was, I forget the rest of the night, but I was never asked back to hang out with them again. <laughs> so one of my teenage horror, but there's something there with, with like the scent that we carry rubs off on the people next to us. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's fishy. <laughs> but I think that's spiritually how it works. The people you company with, that you allow to mold and sculpt you, you are rubbing off on them. Right now, you're rubbing off on one another, whether you realize it or not. When you come to church, even if you don't talk to people and you walk away, you are leaving a fragrance spiritually with one another. And some people are lifted up, some people are discouraged, or some people are just maybe unaffected. What God wants us to do is be a fragrance of me to the people around you. Amen? What does that look like? So we look at Paul and Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul writes a letter to Timothy. And this phrase right here is the capturing first verse and two. My true child in the faith. What do we know about Paul's relationship with Timothy? You don't just call anyone my true child. He loves him. They have history together. They have experience. They cried and they were struggling. They were persecuted together. There's a connection. Two lives spent together. They knew one another. In youth work, in church work, one thing I knew for sure, I w- I'm going to say I was a great youth pastor in Texas, but not because I preached well. It was not because I led a good Bible study. I will say this. I will own this. I think I'm a good youth pastor because I know how to spend time with teens and just do life together with them. I'm not a good expositor of the scripture sometimes, but the kids knew that this pastor wants to know me and care. This is the discipleship that God, Paul, is doing to Timothy. This is how you influence them. Do you notice you never get influenced by somebody who's like, wow, they're really smart. That doesn't really hit you. But if there are people who take interest and you respect, there's something that opens up. And so mentor is more than a teacher. Teacher imparts knowledge. Let me tell you everything I know because I know a lot. That's not what discipleship is. Even though it's teaching them to obey, it's not just knowledge. Somebody defined it this way. A mentor frees the mentee to unleash his or her gifts, pursue Christ with joy, make decisions that flourish his or her life, and glorify God. So simply this. A mentor takes somebody and helps them to unleash their gifts to serve and glorify God and be transformed and become like Christ. So Paul says to Timothy in 2, 2 Timothy, be strong, and what I've given to you, commit these to faithful men. That illustration, you can't give what you don't have. And you don't have unless you receive. And Paul is talking about impart this to the next generation. Um, You know, here, I want to say elderly people, I keep hearing this, I'm going to rebuke you in a loving way. I hear this a lot. Jason, I'm so old, I can't do anything. All right, right? I'm so old. And so I want to rebuke you in this way. If you look at this, what does a young generation need? Simply somebody who prays for them, believes in them, and says, I am going to support you and encourage you. You don't have to run a mile. You don't have to know the Bible, like, inside and out. You're a person who lives the Bible. But you're somebody who is able to say, I believe that God is working in you. 
And so my uncle who just passed away, I don't know how we got close. He passed away and we had a funeral two weeks ago. All he did was he wrote me letters once in a while and says, keep going. I believe in you. And that did it. And so Timothy was a student who learned to be a, a child who was permeated by Paul. Paul was a mentor who took Timothy on all his journeys. If you read Acts 16, it tells you where everywhere he went. And so when we look at mentors and mentees, it's not just a model of I teach, you learn. It is let's walk this life together. Again, who do you have in your life that molds you like that? But maybe more importantly, if you're a Christian for over 10 years, who do you have that does that? I asked the, I asked the Biola students a few weeks ago, um, do you miss Bill Locke? And they said, oh boy, do I. And I was like, what did you miss about him? And Bill Locke, I didn't know this, used to take all the Biola kids, is that true, and go out for lunch? And never made a spectacle. He never said, look what I'm doing. He just said, how are you? And one of the Biola students said, he just did life with us. And when he died, there was a big sorrow because there was a big mentor, a godly man, who simply just fed them and spent time with them and listened to them. That, that was gone temporarily. But this is discipleship. This is what's missing in today. And um, let me end with this. Uh, the reason why I was compelled to have the men's breakfast, just true story. Did you know that what, out of all the suicides in America, do you know what percentage are men? Just how many think 50%? 60? 70? 80? 90? 80% of suicides are men. And CDC has come out and said there is an epidemic of men who do not know how to make friends in America today. 80% are taking their own lives because they are disconnected. And I was so convicted by that because that is one thing we can do as a church. To simply say, I see you. I want the best for you. I want God's purpose to unfold in you. You matter. And so how do we become that? We have to be discipled. We have to be disciples. And we have to see a God raise up a generation to address this group. And so I realized this all ties in together. Go therefore to all nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So the vision for our church is, what if we didn't just do church programs? What if you were able to prayerfully seek a mentor and somebody whom you could encourage and disciple in the faith that they would just keep going. What would that look like in a church like this? What would that look like if 80 people, 100 people, had somebody that believes and prays for them and they could share with? This is the vision that our session has, and this is the journey we're going to go. Let's see where God takes us. Let's pray. Lord, I'm looking at Paul, and his only qualification for being a mentor and disciple was that he was a sinner, the worst of all sinners. I'm looking at his words, and Paul says he was a blasphemer, but you called him to life. 
God, our qualification is not because we've attained great things, but because you, you have redeemed us. You have delivered us. God, I pray for this community that we would have mentors, that we would have those who can influence us spiritually in a real way. I pray for a community where we can also reach out to the young and to people who are alone and to say, let's do life together. Let's follow Christ together. Lord, teach us your ways. Move us from our comfort zone. Help us to overcome the fear of making these kind of initiatives. And God, let there be established relationships that are genuine and true, that are life-giving in ways that would build your church. God, make our hearts hunger for this and help us to crave this. In your name we pray. Amen.